Happy Regroup Sunday, church. This is a time when we get to focus on our community, focus on our friend groups. And Regroup Sunday is the time in which we're going to come together and emphasize and focus, center ourselves around the topic of community, the topic of friendship. And we are a community-based group. We do community. Community is who we are. Community is what we do. And the way that we do community is through small groups. And that's what we're going to emphasize today. After service this morning, you're going to have an opportunity to go and check out some small groups, check out some places where you can find a group of people who you can walk with. And this message today is going to be centered around that. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 17, Exodus chapter 17. A few weeks ago, we had the opportunity to talk about the presence of God. And as a church, we're understanding that the presence of God is our prize. It's the goal. It's the keystone habit. It's the one thing that changes everything. The presence of God is the thing we are in pursuit of as a church. Wherever I want to be and whatever I need is found in the presence of God. Last week, we had an opportunity to talk about your power in your presence, that your presence has power. And because I'm made in the image of God and now a temple of his Holy Spirit, the very host of the very presence of God, now my presence has power to be with other people. And now this week, what we're going to talk about is not just the presence of God, not just that your presence has power, but now the presence that you keep. What presence do you keep around you? We're going to be in Exodus chapter 17, verse 9 through 13. It says this. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Verse 11. And whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. What I want to title the message this morning is, it's not you, it's we. <laughs> Some of us have a different connotation with that term of the, it's not you, it's me, but I'm going to flip that on its head. It's not you, it's we. Talk about three things. One, the weight of we. Two, the weary we. And three, the worth of we. It's not you, it's we. Would you pray with me for a minute? Lord, we need you. Lord, and just as we sang before, we invite your presence in. Would you make us more aware of your presence? God, knowing that your promise is where two or more are gathered in your name, you're going to be in the middle of them. So Lord, we don't just invite you, we welcome you. Saying, Holy Spirit, if you're here, everything can change. So Spirit, speak through me. 
Let me decrease that you might increase and we might know what it means to be children of God. Father, we love you so much. And more importantly, you love us. Holy Spirit, would you empower us to live, look, and love more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. In Jesus' name, amen. Regroup Sunday. Small groups is what we do. It's who we are as a community. And as you come into a space like this, into a place like this, my expectation is that if you call Grace Covenant Church your home, that you would take this Sunday very seriously. That you wouldn't just write it off as, oh yeah, that's the church thing that we do. We do the small group thing, or we do the friend thing, or we do the community thing, but that you would focus on this emphasis in small groups. What I'm trying to do today is I want to take me out of focus, take you out of focus, so I can bring us into focus. That to bring something into focus, oftentimes you have to take something else out of focus. It's not you, it's me. (laughs) No, it's not you, it's we. A generation of people who are so obsessed with the me, who want to see what's best for me, who are self-centered on me, who are self-focused on me. And here's the thing. When you get into a church like this, you might not be able to know everybody's name. But you should know somebody's name. And you might not be able to have everybody know your name. But somebody should know your name. Does somebody know your name in this church? Are you known in this place? Or have you written it off to say, there are a bunch of people here I guess I'm just subscribed to, and I guess I just have to boil it down to a church on Sunday, some good worship, and then I leave and go to brunch? Or do you have a community? It's not you, it's we. That we're focused on our community. And usually it's not you as me is used to soften the blow of disappointment, right? It's the, it's the term that you use when you're an ending a relationship and you just don't want them to think it's all about them. And you say, you know, well, it, to be honest, it's, it's really not you, it's me. And we use it to soften the blow of disappointment. And that's not what I'm trying to do today. I'm trying, not trying to soften the blow of disappointment to say that it's not you, it's me. I'm actually trying to increase and strengthen your level of commitment. It's not you, it's we. To take our eyes off of ourselves, to reframe it and readjust it, to emphasize the collective instead of the individual. To say, I'm not focusing on just what I can do, and I'm not just focusing on being a consumer, but now a contributor. That I see myself as part of the whole, and not just having this church thing be something to satisfy and suit me whenever I need it, but as something else where we are gathered together as the whole in the body of Christ. But here's the thing, to invest in your we, you first need to take inventory. You first need to think about it. You need to assess your surroundings. So as we go through these next few minutes, what I want you to do is I want you to think about, take inventory of, audit, if you will, your we. And when I'm talking about we, I'm not talking about the peripheral people you go to the gym with. I'm not talking about the dudes that uh, you knew when you were younger. I'm not talking about your coworkers. I'm not talking about your acquaintances. I'm talking about your inner circle. I'm talking about the people you celebrate with, the people you cry with the people you're connected to, the people you go to when things are great and the people you go to when things are bad. Who's your we? Who's your we? Because we oftentimes don't place enough emphasis on the importance of our community. Because arguably, 
community and relationships are the most valuable thing to Jesus. Jesus, a title where he had claimed for himself, friend of sinners. Jesus describes himself as a friend. Or Jesus prays to God the Father as our Father. There's an intimate relationship involved with, between us and God. Maybe you look at the great commandment and you see that Jesus actually said that the greatest thing that you can do is you can love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you can love your neighbor as yourself to love God and to love people. Maybe you even look at Grace Covenant Church and our values, that one of our values and what we stand upon is the value of family. Or maybe you just take a look at this one Sunday, you haven't read the Bible, you haven't been to church in a while, you don't know who we are, and you see the emphasis of small groups and community. Arguably, relationships are the most important thing to Jesus. And in a world so self-centered, our aim is to be God-centered. And God-centered means community-centered. Why? Because God is community. You think about this. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We find an, a, a perfect community in and of himself. Three persons, one God. You can't comprehend it fully. We have our God who in and of himself does not need anything else because he, Father, Son, and Spirit are a perfect community. And as we are God-centered, we realize that he in and of himself is a perfect community. Now he has made us in his image, and now we are meant to express his godness, his image in our community. Did you know that Jesus prayed for us? That Jesus, not, not for you. I meant what I said. Jesus prayed for us, not for you. <laughs> John 17, the high priestly prayer. Entire chapter, beautiful chapter of Jesus's prayer for us. So you, you can read it. We don't have time to do it right now, but you will never see one time in that whole chapter of Jesus's prayer using the singular you. He only says that when he's talking to the father, he's saying, God, help them. God, that they might know. Help them that they might know. Throughout the entire chapter of John 17, Jesus only uses the plural you. Why? Because Jesus isn't just praying for you individually. He's praying for us. Now, I'm not saying Jesus doesn't care about you individually. He's the shepherd who leaves the 99 for the one. I'm saying that it's not just about you. That it's about us. It's not you. It's we, and do you want to know what Jesus' prayer was? That we would be one just as he and the Father are one. You want to know God's will for your life? It's to be one with each other as he and the Father are one. It's to express God's image in our church. And as we do that, we start to express the very nature of God, he in and of himself being a community. And why is that so important? It's because your purpose is connected to my purpose. Some of us don't like that. But your purpose is connected to my purpose. Jesus prays for us, not just you. Jesus prays for the community, not just the individual. And we, last time I checked, are the body of Christ. And Paul taught me that I'm not allowed to say that I don't need you. 
That it's actually in the scriptures that I am not allowed to say that you are not part of the body, that there's one more valuable part of the body. But I actually am meant to express the fullness of God's image in the world by saying, no, 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 no. My purpose is connected to your purpose. My need's connected to your need. My mission's connected to your mission, which is why Jesus prayed for us and not just you. It's not you, it's we. <laughs> the weight of we. The weight of we. There's, there's a weight, there's a heaviness, there's a value, there's a gravitas to your we, to your people. Moses knew that. Moses, as he was leading the Israelites out of Egypt in Exodus 17, there were a lot of battles and issues that they had to manage and they had to fight through. And one, right here, we find them fighting Amalek. And as they're about to come into this battle before they get into the promised land, what does Moses do? Moses gathers his we. He finds Joshua, who we know is going to be a monumental part of Israel's future. And he says, I need you to go and fight down in the valley with Amalek. He finds Aaron and he finds her. And he says, the high priest Aaron, his older brother, and her, those two who are going to be the men who actually took care of the people of Israel when Moses was on the mountain in Mount Sinai, these were his we. And Moses gathers his we and says, there's a passion and there's a battle and there's a purpose that we need to go and accomplish and I can't do it by myself. Moses knew that he needed a we. Why? Because who you surround yourself with matters. Who you surround yourself with matters. You know, the company that you keep will tell me way more about you than the words that you speak. People say that you are the sum of your five closest relationships. That you are who you spend your time with. And dare I say, if you give me a weekend with you and your best friends, I could tell you a whole lot about you. You give me a weekend, just, just a couple days with you and your best friends, I can tell you a whole lot about you. Why? Because the comfortable you speaks way more loudly than the challenged you. Who are you when you're comfortable? When you're with your friends? When no one else is watching? It's, it's easy to have faith when you're uncomfortable, that's when you have, it's easy to have faith when you're not in the position, when you're challenged, when you need a miracle, when you need something to happen. That part is easy. Anyone can well up some faith and become a certain kind of person when life gets difficult. But what happens when you're comfortable? The comfortable you speaks way more loudly than the challenged you. And if you gave me some time with your friends, I would just ask a question. What does a guy's night look like for you? What do you do on guy's night? It's just you and your boys. Or you go on a girl's trip. You go out of town for a birthday or a bachelorette party and you're comfortable and everyone's letting loose. What, what does it look like for you when you're comfortable? Who you surround yourself with matters. It's not you, it's we. Because your comfort and how you act in your comfort will tell me way more about you than how you act when you're challenged. Who's your we? Who, who, who do you surround yourself with? Because who you surround yourself with matters. A.W. Tozer actually says it this way. He says that the company that you keep will be one of the most defining factors in the person that you become. The company that you keep, just the people that you surround yourself with will tell you, will prophesy about your future. 
I don't have to be a prophet to tell you, if you show me your five best friends, I'll show you your five next years. That the company that you keep tells me something about you. And the scriptures say the same thing. It says this, that 1 Corinthians 15, don't be deceived, bad company corrupts good character. Don't be tricked. Bad company corrupts good character. Some of us think we're way stronger than our friend groups. Oh, I don't, I don't give in to peer pressure. No, that's me. I'm, I'm a leader. There, I'm not a follower. I'm a leader. I'm going to do whatever I need to do. But let me tell you something. The scripture clearly says that we cannot be deceived by the enemy to think that we are stronger than our community. Because who you are often who you surround yourself with. Bad company corrupts good character. And what I found out about our we is that it usually can only do two things when it comes to your weight. Your we will either compound or carry. Your we is either going to help you compound the weight or it's going to help you carry the weight. Is it making it heavier on you, your we? Is it making life more difficult for you, your we? Or are they helping you carry the burdens you're weak? Because I feel like there are a lot of us in this room who are carrying a lot of unnecessary weight. Because we have some we's who are just compounding all of the issues, all of the pain, all of the trials, all of the questions, all of the pain. And we start having these friendships that we surround ourselves with who aren't helping us carry what God has asked us to carry into our purpose. We actually feel heavier and it's compounding us and dragging us down. Who you surround yourself with matters. Well, no, 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 pastor. Like, they aren't corrupting me. Like, they're not really like that. Like, that's just who they are. Like, you don't have to worry about that. They don't corrupt me. I don't act different when I'm around them. Then why do you start talking different when you get around them? You don't talk the same in church when, when you talk with your friends. No, pastor, but like, that's just who they are. Like, you know them. Like, those are just your boys. That's just, no, they're toxic. You, you, you get to a place where you're like, well, no, like, they're just real. They're real. Like, they just say the stuff that nobody else says. No, they're really unkind. You are who you surround yourself with. And oftentimes we take this moment and we take our friendships pretty much just as they come. But the crucial thing and the really encouraging thing is this Proverbs 13, 20 tells us this. Whoever walks with the wise will become wise. You are who you surround yourself with. You are who you surround yourself with. And this should be encouraging to some of us. Because the thing is, if you realize that you have a corrupted character, all you have to do is get new company. If you have you ever thought that your character is connected to your company? Have you ever considered that the company that you keep corrupts your character? But you have an encouraging verse in Proverbs that he who walks with the wise will become wise. You are who you surround yourself with. It's not you, it's we. And we were made for relationships. The issue is when we don't prioritize relationships. The issue is when we just take relationships as they come. And it shows and it's evident by our inner circles, to be honest, because some of us will look around at our friendships and our friend groups and our we's, and we don't know how we got here. We don't know how these people were in our friend group. We don't know why we hang out with them all the time. It's just the way that things have always been. And, and we get to this place where, to be honest, we're not 
actually forming friendships, we're just finding friends. And tell, let me tell you something. There's a big difference between finding a friend and forming a friendship. And some of us have just found ourselves with a bunch of company and a bunch of people around us. And we look around and we say, I don't know how I got here. Or maybe we say, well, I, no, I, I went to school with them. Or like we, we grew up together. It's just, we have history. Like we have a relationship. It's just been a long time coming. Or, or maybe I work with them. We live in the same building. We went to the same school. We were in the same organization. And all of a sudden, we start to let the circumstances start to define our company. And we start to let circumstances choose our friends instead of choice. How many of our friendships are because of circumstance and not because of choice? I just found myself here. I just, I just realized and I looked around and, and I realized that now these are my friends. Listen, I'm going to let my circumstances choose what I wear today, not who's in my wedding. That's going to depend on the, the weather, the circumstances. That'll help me depend on what I wear. I'm going to choose. I'm going to form. I'm going to look for a craft and search God's heart for the friendships. I'm not just going to take whatever the world has given me and saying, I guess this is the best that we got. I've been here for a long time. This is what I'm used to. They know me. No, I'm going to start to form some friendships. Why? Because who you surround yourself with matters. It's not you. It's we. I need, felt the need to remind a lot of us today that you are called to be an oak of righteousness. Isaiah 61. That's what the Lord has called you to be. And as I was looking up what that meant in the terms, did you know that the oak is the um, national tree of America? I didn't know that. Fun fact. Take it to your friends. I don't know. What do you do with that information, right? It's like, why does that matter? It doesn't matter at all. But like the oak is the national tree of America. And they can live to be like a thousand years old, a thousand years. And there are these massive trees where birds build all their nests and they're beautiful and they add the structure and, and they give protection. And, and, and they're one of like the hardiest trees that we have in America. And as I was researching what it means to be an oak of righteousness, I, I realized that the biggest enemy to an oak tree is not fire it's not a storm, it's not wind, it's not a drought, it's not a flood. The biggest enemy to an oak tree is insects, bugs, little, little caterpillars, and, and, and moths, and, and insects. Why? Because those insects, what they do is they start to burrow into the branches of the tree, and little by little, piece by piece, these tiny insects are small enough and insignificant enough where they all of a sudden get inside the tree and start to rot the tree from the inside out. Something really, really small can destroy something really, really big. And some of us got a really, really big purpose, a really, really big calling. A really, really big mission. This is a church that is committed to winning the city, planting churches, a really, really big mission, a really, really big vision, a really, really big calling. I don't know. Maybe you have a vision for your business. Maybe you have a vision for your family. Maybe you have a vision for your health. Maybe you have a vision to break a generational curse. Maybe you have a vision and a mission and a calling and a purpose. But let me tell you something, that sometimes the most insignificant things will derail the biggest purposes in your life. 
We didn't even consider how we got these friendships, but maybe just maybe those small little things are going to eat away at you. And now what you were called to be as this big oak of righteousness gets destroyed by those really tiny friendships. Rotting you from the inside out, who you surround yourself with matters. Maybe it's not the big calamities that are going to derail your purpose. Maybe it's really the small friendships. We think it's going to be the big moments, the crazy things, the big disasters. But who you surround yourself with matters. It's not you, it's we. Because who you become depends on who you are with. Who you become depends on who you're with. Your community is an essential part of your purpose. Moses had a we. Moses chose his we. Moses knew that there was a weight to his we. I wonder, could we start to feel the weight of the company that we keep? The weight of we. Which then moves practically into the the weary we. We see in scripture that Moses, Joshua, Aaron, and Hur. Moses has led the Israelites out of Egypt. Exodus 17, they're fighting Amalek. And what happens is that Moses has this point, and it's this crazy thing where it says in the scriptures, Moses' hands grew weary. And I don't know about you, but that encourages me. It could discourage you to say, Moses' hands grew weary? Then I have no chance. Or you could say, Moses' hands grew weary. I got a chance. Moses' hands grew weary. Moses, like, this is is Moses we're talking about. It it, it lets me breathe. It lets me take a side and say, wow, even, even Moses got weary. This is the burning bush, Moses. This, this is the plagues in Egypt, Moses. This, this is the Red Sea parting, Moses. The Pharaoh telling and commanding, Moses. This is the glory of God seeing face to face, Moses. This is the Moses who was on Mount Sinai and got the Ten Commandments, Moses. This is the Moses who parted the Red Sea, Moses. This is the Moses who had water come from a rock, Moses. This is the Moses who had manna come from heaven, Moses. Moses got weary, if Moses got weary, then maybe I'm going to be okay. Maybe I'll be good if, if Moses got weary. But it brings up a really important question. How do you handle hardships? Because Moses handled them a really specific way. How do you handle when life gets you weary? Are you the type to, to push through? Say, man, no, I'm just going to keep going. Like, nothing's going to stop me. I'm laser focused. This is my purpose. Ain't no one going to get my way. You, you push through. You just push beyond the boundaries when you get weary. Are you the type that just ignores it? Says, man, I'm just going to, it's not happening. If I just ignore it for long enough, it'll go away. So I'm just going to keep on going, act like it didn't happen. I'm not going to address it, but I'm just going to ignore it. I'm just going to leave it over here on this side. Are you the type that, that deals with substance? Being real? 
How do you handle hardship? Do you, do, you, do you just need to take something to get your mind off of it? Do you need to drink something to make sure you don't feel it as much anymore? Or, or how, how do you deal when you're weary? Is it substance? Do you lash out? Because you haven't actually processed this thing. Now you take it out on somebody else who's not even associated with it. Do you, do you lash out to people? Do you run away? Are you saying that I'm just not going to deal with it? Okay, sarah, sarah, what will be will be. I'm just going to go. I don't need to think. Of, you know what? Just get me out of this and get me anywhere but here. How do you handle hardship? What do you do when you're weary? Because what Moses did is Moses asked for help. Really simple. Moses asks for help. <laughs> Moses goes and says, Aaron, I need you. I need you to come here. I need you to come here and go with me on the top of this mountain. Her, I need you. I need you to come here because there's a big fight that we got to do and we can't lose. We have to go to the promised land. God said we're going to the promised land, so we got to go to the promised land. But I need somebody. Joshua, Joshua, you've been so faithful. I need you to come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. I need you to go and fight Amalek because I need to go on the mountain and receive what God wants me to receive. But I can't fight for myself. So Joshua, you go. Aaron, her, can you guys come with me? Dude, I'm so tired. I'm exhausted. I know this is my purpose. I know I'm supposed to do this. But can you guys just help me out for? A minute. Can you, can you hold my arms up? I know this is what I'm supposed to do. God gave me a responsibility, but I need you to help me with my responsibility. Moses asked for help. When was the last time you asked for help? A weary we. And Moses got a right we when he asked for help. He, he got some people who, who were going to support him in his godly purpose. He got some people who were going to push him closer to God's will in his life. He didn't just get anybody. He got a certain kind of we. Why? Because who you surround yourself with matters. It's not you. It's we. we your we doesn't just carry weight. Sometimes they carry you. And if you put yourself in your we's hands, where are they taking you? When you're weary. When you're tired, when you can't take yourself to Jesus, when life is just beating you up and throwing storm after storm and you find your we to fall back on, where are they carrying you? Where are they taking you? Moses could trust Aaron, Joshua, and her. Can you trust your we? And here's the question that's going to be really important. To figure out if you can trust your we, simply ask, are they people who deal with symptoms or are they people who deal with sources? Is it a symptom friend or a source friend? <laughs> a, a symptom friend simply just wants you to stop hurting. A source friend wants you to be healthy. A symptom friend wants you to stop being hurt. A source friend wants you to be healthy. A symptom friend is the one who caters to your feelings. A symptom friend who says, whatever pops up, we're just going to deal with that singular issue. We're going to deal with the fruit and forget the root. They're the type of friends that said, man, dude, let's just go out tonight. Like, just forget her. Forget that. We're just going to get your mind off it. We're going to have a good time. You're going to get loose. We're going to have fun. Let's just go out tonight. That's a, that's a symptom friend. A symptom friend is the one who says, man, girl, girl, you don't need to do that. Like, he's not worth it anyway. Just download this and then you'll get what you need. Like, you'll be fine. You don't need to focus on that. A symptom friend is the one who says, man, this makes me feel better. So you should take this. If you take this, you'll feel way, way, way better. I've been doing it since I was in high school. It'll help you a lot. A symptom friend, it says, man, forget about them. They're not worth you anyway. They don't deserve you. A symptom friend, it says, if they can't handle you at your worst, they don't deserve you at your best. That's a symptom friend. But a source friend 
A source friend is someone that is, that's way more concerned with my spiritual health than my temporary happiness. A, a source friend is, says, man, have you brought this to God yet? Like for real, like I, I'm not going to be much help to you at this point. Like you, you got to go to God and we can go to God together, but like, I'm not going to be able to fix everything for you. So like, have you brought this to God? A source friend is the type that says, man, can I pray with you? Not just, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to pray for you, but can we pray right now? Can I pray with you? A source friend says, man, I haven't seen you at church in a while. Where you been? You, 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 have, you haven't been a small group in weeks. I, I'm just trying to figure out how you're doing. A source friend says, let me come over and sit with you. A source friend says, where do you see God in this? What is God trying to teach you? A source friend says, what does obedience look like for you right now in this season of life? A source friend is not so much concerned with the fruit of the issue, but the root of the issue. You got some source friends or symptom friends. Let me tell you, I don't need any more source friends, uh, symptom friends in my life. We're just going to cater to my feelings. Hope that I'm good today and that's all they care about. Hope that I'm happy today and that's all they care about. I need some friends who are not just going to go after the symptoms, but who are going to go to God and go after the source. I need some friends who when I'm weary and I know that I got a purpose to hold up and that there's a staff that God has given me and a battle that God has entrusted me with, I'm going to say, man, I know I can't give you my staff, but I can give you my arms. So can you hold up my arms and can you help me with this thing? I need some friends who are are going to go to the scriptures before they go to the internet. I need some friends who are going to go to prayer before they go to an advice column. I need some friends who are going to go to church before they go to social media. I need some source friends in my life. You got some symptom friends or some source friends. Because who you surround yourself with, say it, matters. It's not you, it's we. I need some people who are going to point me to Jesus, not point me to myself. I need some source friends in my life. And this, this is the, the question that kind of wrecked me. And I brought it up to Pastor AJ and he was really gracious because he was like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, shut up. <laughs> I was like, it was a great revelation for me. It, it was one of those where like somebody got a revelation before you did. And then you told them the revelation and they're like, oh yeah, God told me that like four years ago. And I'm like, man, I'm not telling you nothing anymore, but this is what God taught me right now. I'll share with you. The question was simply this. What if I'm God's grace for you? Or maybe say it this way. What if you're God's grace for me? What if I don't need another miracle in my life? I just need to be humble and accept the care. Moses sitting there. Saying, God, I need your help. My arms are tired. I need your help. I need your help. I need your help. We're going to lose this fight if I don't keep my arms up. I realize when my arms are raised, we're winning. When my arms fall down, we're losing. But I'm really, really tired right now. Man, I need your help. So what does God do? Does God give him some supernatural strength? No. <laughs> does God make the staff float? No. God brings Aaron and her to support his arms. What if I'm God's grace for you? What if you're God's grace for me? God's care and favor and love towards me is expressed through you. What if I am actually saying, God, I'm going to stop focusing on the issue and I'm going to start focusing on my help. And God, the help is, is all around me. 
The help is in the people that, that you've placed me with. What if I'm God's grace for you? And this is not me thinking too highly of myself. This is me reading my Bible and seeing that God cares for people with people. That's the Bible. That's what God does. He places you in community to care for you. And what if your miracle is not God floating the staff and giving you supernatural strength, but providing a grace for you in a person to help hold your arms? Because I think sometimes we forfeit God's grace for us because we refuse man's care for us. We think that because it comes in the form of man's hand, it can't be God's hand. But what if God's grace for you is in your community's strength and support of you? What if I'm God's grace for you? What if you're God's grace for me? And sometimes, I, some of us, I'm, I'm not sure what family you grew up in. I'm not sure what environment you're surrounded by to get to the place where you, some of us in this room might be like, that's great. God's grace for you. That's great. I love that. That's cool. But like, that's just not me. Like, I, I, I grew up in a way where I, I couldn't trust in anybody. I couldn't depend on them. Like every time I depended on somebody, they let me down. Every time I trusted in somebody, they, 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 they broke my trust. I, I was the type where I had to pull myself up from, from my bootstraps. I had to do everything for myself. No one ever gave me a handout. I had to work for everything myself. I'm not sure what it looks like in your family. I'm not sure the way that you are raised. I'm not sure if you feel like it all is on your shoulders. But let me tell you something. If you're in the kingdom of God, not anymore. Not anymore. Sometimes we think (laughs) not accepting help is humility, but it's actually pride. I'm not going to bother you with it. It's mine. Like, I don't want you to feel bad. I don't want to put that weight on you. I don't want to make you feel a certain kind of way. So I'm just going to hold all of it for myself and and I'll deal with it myself. I'm not going to ask for help because I can handle it myself. God gives his strongest battles to his strongest soldiers and I'm a strong soldier. So I'm just going to keep on going and and, and I'm just not going to ask for help. So Lord, like you're going to help me. But what if you're forfeiting God's grace for you because you're refusing man's care for you? Not accepting help is not humility, it's pride. It's saying, I can do it. I can do it. And I don't know about you, but I'm not as strong as Moses. And Moses grew weary. And Moses asked for help. And Moses accepted the help. It's not humility. It's pride. Humility is an essential part of your community. To say, I can't do it. My purpose is connected to your purpose. I need you to help me when I'm weary. I need you to hold up my hands when I'm tired. I need you to help parent my kids when I'm tripping. I need you to help me in my marriage when they're tripping. I need, no, when I'm tripping, let's be real. I need you to help me in my business when everybody is not, everyone's sick and I can't find anybody to work. I need you to help me with my money because I realize I'm not really that good with money. I need you to help me in my addiction because I've been trying by myself for a really long time and nothing has worked. I need you to help me, help me. I need you. Because why? It is not humility to refuse help. It's pride. And the scripture says, I can't even go. I shouldn't say this because it can lead me down a rabbit trail. But it says in the scriptures that God opposes the proud. But what does he do? He says he gives more grace to the humble. What if I'm God's grace for you? What if your humility is connected to your help? 
And when I grow weary and when I see that I'm not strong enough and when I need some help, I don't just refuse my help. I don't just stand in my pride. I don't say, this is my battle, my purpose, my mission, my vision. I have to do it by myself, for myself, with myself. No, I say, I'm, I'm weary, man. I am so tired. Could you, just, could you just hold my arms up real quick? Could you just stand with me real quick? Because who I surround myself with matters. It's not you, it's we. You're never going to get to where you need to be on your own. (laughs) I am a product of this church. Like, true. And every good thing that came from me came from this church. I grew up here. I love being a part of a church that is older than I am. (laughs) There's history there's people, there's, there's family. We're a, we're a long church. You know what I mean? That there's history. We go deep. We go long. There's, there's a history and there's a future with our church. And I didn't know if I knew it in the moment, but now as I look back on my life, I realize that you, Grace Covenant Church, were God's grace for me. You were God's grace for me. <laughs> when I was in high school, Pastor Stephen choosing me <laughs> and I didn't have a choice in the matter to disciple me. He said, you, what are you doing this summer? I'm discipling you. Follow me. We're going to read this book. We're going to find out what it means to follow God. He was God's grace for me. Sean Perkins, he was a pastor here now in Myrtle Beach. He would take me out to lunch. He would teach me what it looks like to be a man. He would train me in righteousness even when I didn't know I was being trained in righteousness. He was God's grace for me. Ken and Joni Whitaker, when I was growing up in this church, they were our children's ministers and they were training me up in the way that I should go. I thought it was just fun. They were teaching me the Bible. They were God's grace for me. When I was in high school, AJ McGraw said, I'm going to gather a bunch of knuckleheads and we're going to have a discipleship group. And I'm going to teach you guys what it looks like to be like men. He was God's grace for me. Pat Williams, when I was growing up in this church, every time she saw me, she would say, strong tower, mighty tower. You're a man of God. I thought she just said stuff, but she was God's grace for me. What if it was Keith Temple as soon as I got out of college? I had no idea what I was doing, but he met with me. He had coffee with me. He prayed with me. He found God's purpose in my life with me. He was God's grace for me. Sean Clemens, he's an amazing pastor here. When I was in college, what he did is he drove down two hours to VCU, did an hour-long Bible study with me and like five people and then drove two hours back. That didn't seem worth it, but for some reason he came. He was God's grace for me. If you look around, how many times would you see God's grace for you? I'm a product of this church. Any good thing that comes from me came from you. I'm a product of this church because you're never going to get to where you need to be on your own. It's not you. It's we. I'm going to lean into my grace. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to emphasize God's grace for me. I'm going to choose that when I'm weary, I choose to let people support me. I don't refuse the help to think that I'm strong. I acknowledge the help and say that I'm weak. And when I get to this point in realizing that actually I'm weary, it's actually not actually, your weariness is no longer a weakness. It's a strength because your weakness now points you to the grace of God. 
So now when I'm weary and when I'm tired, I don't see it as something to be embarrassed about. I follow Paul and I see it as something to rejoice in because when I'm weak, he is strong and his strength is oftentimes seen in the care of people for me. What if you're God's grace for me? I'm not embarrassed about my weariness. I'm not embarrassed about my weakness. I say, you are God's grace for me. I'm God's grace for you. A weary we. It's not you. It's we. Now, a worth it we, a a, a weight to the we, the weight of we, the, the weary we, and now the worth of we. If you want to run fast, you should run alone. But if you want to run far, you should run together. You can, you can do something in your lifetime that is a little bit impressive, but just lasts your lifetime alone. You can run fast alone, not having to think about anybody else, not having to support anybody else, not having to wait for anybody else or catch up to anybody else. You can live by yourself, for yourself, with yourself, and you can run really, really fast. But if you want something that lasts longer than you, if you want to leave a legacy, if you feel like you have a mission that goes beyond your lifetime, if you feel like there's a purpose that God has given you that goes beyond you, you have to run together. If you want to run fast, you can run alone. But if you want to run far, you should run together. I was um, out riding with some people in our church who are amazing. Tom and Claire Mansman, they took us to uh, ride some horses. And horses are like these massive beasts and, and like these powerful and beautiful. And also they taught me this like so like emotionally intelligent, like just horses are amazing. And, and it got me starting to think about like just researching horses. And I researched Belgian draft horses. If you've ever seen those, you should look them up. It's these, they look, they look photoshopped. Every time you see one, you're like, that's not real. They're massive, huge, huge horses. You used to like carry all this, like pretty much, they could like carry a tree by themselves. They're huge. And as I was researching these Belgian draft horses, it says that one of these horses can carry 8,000 pounds. Insane. Like just massive, massive creatures. And then it said that two Belgian draft horses can carry 24,000 pounds. Now, I was, in, I, I was in art school, and I'm not good at math, but I know that one with 8,000, two, I'm pretty sure, is 16. And I said, wait, how could, if one carries eight, how could two carry two? And then God reminded me about Deuteronomy 32.30. One man can put 1,000 to flight, but two men can put 10,000. You see, nature is only telling us what God has been telling us from the beginning. Is that if you want to run fast, you can run alone. But if you have a purpose to fulfill, if you have a calling that's bigger than you, if you have a mission that's God-ordained, it's not man-fulfilled, you got to run together. Would you run with some people in your life? Feel that it's worth it, that it goes beyond you, that it's more than you. Would you see that one can put a thousand, but two, man, two could put 10,000 to flight. It's a worth it, we. It's a worth it, we. It's not you, it's we. It's not you, it's we. And what it does, this reframes our reference for community and for people. Because oftentimes when it comes to purpose, success, calling, mission, we oftentimes, even in the church world, let's be honest, don't see people as people who we want to invite in because we see everybody else as competition. 
Your purpose is, is, is competing with mine. Your, your mission is competing with mine. Your success is competing with mine. But in the kingdom of God, we no longer have to see everybody else's competition, but we can see them as compliments. And now your success is my success, that your purpose is connected to my purpose. Do you see that? That you are connected to me, that who I walk with matters because we were not meant to live alone. We were not meant to live isolated. If you do Christianity by yourself, isolated and alone, you will never be who God is meant for you to be. I realize that Man, you're not a competition. Your success isn't threatening my success. Your fruit isn't threatening my fruit. Your victory isn't threatening my... Your victory is my victory. Your success is my success. Your purpose is connected to my purpose. We are all the body of Christ, and I'm not allowed to say I don't need you. God has placed us together. It's not just you. It's we. As I close, it says in Mark, this heartbreaking story of Jesus and his friends. And that we see Jesus in his biggest moment of ministry, the the moment that his life has culminated in before he gets to the cross, he goes to this garden called Gethsemane. And we realize here that community and companionship and going with people when you're weary isn't just a Telus idea. It's not just a Grace Covenant Church idea. This is a God idea. You see that Jesus in his biggest moment of need, he's sweating drops of blood. He is stressed out. He doesn't know what to do. And he brings his, his best friends, his 11 best friends, knowing that his other friend Judas is about to betray him. And he says, hey man, I just need you guys to come with me for a minute. And he brings them along. And as he brings them along, he grabs his three best friends, Peter, James, and John. And it says in Mark chapter 14, 32 through 37, And when they went to a place called Gethsemane, he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. Please remain and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. And the most heartbreaking part of this story is verse 37. And he came back and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not, could you not watch for an hour? In Jesus' greatest moment of weariness, he invites in community. And that community fails him. The one who is self-sufficient, lacking nothing, invites in a sinful community and that community fails him. The one person who didn't need community chose it. And I look at my life and I'm like, God, how many times have I failed you? How many times have I fell asleep when you asked me to stay awake? 
And I realized that the place in which Jesus has been a friend to me and the place in which I've been a horrible friend to him. And I realized he is my best friend and he calls me his friend even though I've been his worst friend. And the one person who didn't need communion invites it in. And as he invites in this community, they failed him miserably. And some of us feel in this room like, man, community has failed me. I've tried that before. Community failed me. I don't trust it anymore. I don't trust people anymore. I can't put myself out like that again. I don't see the benefit in it. Or maybe you're the type where it says, man, I failed somebody else. I've tried to be a good friend and I can't. And I'm so encouraged that the story doesn't stop here because in Christ, no failure is final. And Jesus says, man, I know you can't do it. And he says, I know the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He stays with them and he stays with them and he bears with them and he stays with them and he keeps on inviting them and he doesn't hold their failure against them and I'm here to tell you something beautiful today that in 2 Timothy 2 13 it says this beautiful truth that even when we are faithless he remains faithful that even if you have failed every relationship even if every relationship has failed you You have a Jesus who will never fail you. You have a best friend who will never leave you. You have a model who is perfectly able to follow. And you say, I know that I can't do it in myself. But Jesus, your friendship is fuel for mine. And now I don't do it out of my own strength. This is not a message that says be a better friend. That's not what this is. This is a message that says look at the best friend. Look at the best friend and look at the faithful friend and let that be fuel for your friendship and say, I can't be perfect for you, but I can be present. Like I I, I can't do everything for you, but I can hold up your hands. I can't fix every problem, but I can sit with you and I can pray with you and I can be with you. And I might not be the perfect friend, but I'll be there. Who's your we? Jesus called us his. And out of that, we fuel our friendship. We fuel our community to say, my relationship with Jesus does not depend on how good of a friend I have been to him, but now it depends on how good of a friend that he's been to me. There's a weight to your we. Sometimes there's a weariness to your we. Let me tell you, church, It is so worth it. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for being our friend. In your greatest time of weariness, you invited in community. And Lord, you continue to invite us in every single day. You've you've chosen to bring us in by the blood that you shed on the cross into an everlasting community. And Lord, I'm asking that we would be a church that mirrors your commitment to us by our commitment to each other. You're the faithful friend. 
You're the present friend. You're the good friend. You're the best friend. And thank you that you chose to call us friends, no longer slaves, but now friends.